Amen. Thanks, guys. Glorious day. Um, I just want to mention a couple things. Number one, in the bulletin, there's written a part of Karen, uh, the missionary to Nepal's newsletter. Encourage you to check that out, what um, she's doing in Nepal, and just remember her. Uh, and also, I want to pray in a moment, of course, for this morning speaking. But I also want to lift up Caitlin Mead, which is uh, Ken and Brenda's granddaughter, whose water broke, and baby will be here in the near future. So we want to we want to remember Caitlin and her husband and, and the whole family. So anyway, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor when you found John chapter 1. Instead of reading the whole passage, I'm just going to read one single verse this morning. That certainly uh, points to the fact that this guy pointed to Jesus. That was his call, and he fulfilled that. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we do lift Caitlin to you, God. We ask that you would protect her and this little one, Father. We thank you for the hope of a, a new baby, Father. We just ask that the birth process would go well. Keep both safe, mom and child, and Father, I just thank you for that family. Just bless them, Lord. Um, <laughs> we are just so grateful for your kindness. Your scripture calls the little ones a heritage from the Lord, and they are such a blessing. Thank you. Father, as we think about John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, that's what we need to do, Lord. So I just pray this morning as we look at your word that you would just speak to us about being a pointer, directly pointing in the direction of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Um, as I thought about, I titled this pointing to Jesus as I thought about John the Baptist, and that was really his call, was to point to Christ. And it made me think of the breed of dogs that are called pointers. So I'll ask Jeff to stick up there as a picture. I, I found this article on the internet about pointers and so I took the picture of the dog and put it up there if it'll come up I know we're having this isn't our day for technology there he is um, there's a pointer now I want to show you the next picture which is Atticus and our dog Panda and I thought man when I saw this picture Panda's got to at least have some pointer in her you can if you can see her I thought man that that was a picture of panda so I looked at um, the origin the beginning of these types of dogs and they were developed to be bird dogs to work side by side with greyhounds and all the way back in England in 1650 and here's the deal about these pointers they're terrible about keeping a scent because they're easily distracted so they just run around kind of crazy and and then they pick up the scent again. And then when they find the scent, they point in the direction of the scent of the prey. And I thought, man, that sounds like us as believers in Christ. 
we're called to point to Jesus, but we get distracted. Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? What am I looking for? You know, and you know, just everywhere except. And then finally, we catch the scent of Jesus Christ, and then we point that way. John the Baptist, he was called by Jesus the greatest among those born of woman. Uh, and I think one of the main reasons for that was evidenced in the fact that he didn't lose the scent. This guy was pointing in the direction of Christ. Well, I got one more picture of Panda to show you. Um, got there. And here's the deal with Panda. When she was small, Lydia and uh, Cindy taught her when she wanted something to smile. So if you guys got that, there she is. She needs braces. But whenever, whenever she wants food or wants to go for, I don't know how many words she knows, but she does know the word go. So we have to be very careful when we say, do you want to go? Because she thinks that means we're going to go walking or hiking or running or something like that. Uh, but that's our little pointer. <laughs> so I want to look at John the Baptist this morning. And we're just going to march down through the scripture and look at these two points here that give insight into John the Baptist pointing to Christ. And the first part here is the identity of John the Baptist. He knew who he was. Now, look at verse 19 of John chapter 1. It says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Now, you have to understand this guy. What an interesting man. John the Baptist was a PK, a priest's kid. Okay? The job of the priest in that day was to follow the Jewish rituals in the temple. They were known for their dedication, preparing for these rituals to be performed among the people in order to worship and bring praise to God. But what they were not known for was being wild man preachers. John did not exactly follow in the steps of his daddy. Instead of being drawn toward the temple, he was drawn to being out in the woods. Or as it says in the scripture, the wilderness. Or some translations, the desert. And what did he do out there? The guy preached. And he did not have the common look of the priest in the royal robes and dressed for the occasion. This guy wore uh, a tunic made out of camel's hair, and he had long hair that grew. And when he preached, <laughs> he preached with power. And so a delegation is sent out to ask, just who are you? You're causing a stir. We want to know who you are. And so it's interesting here because he begins, John begins by telling them who he's not. You guys think that I am the promised one. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to set free our people. But you got the wrong guy. Which says so much to me about him. It would be so easy to just love all that attention. The crowds coming to hear John. The crowds turning to God and being baptized. And yet, what did he do? Instead of saying, yeah, here I am. I love that as it says in verse 29. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Then they go and they said, okay, if you're not the Messiah, just who are you? Because he goes through the text. He says, well, first, are you Elijah? Well, as I just mentioned, if you know, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 8 has a description of Elijah, a wild-looking guy too. He was hairy. He had a belt around uh, his uh, hairy clothes that he wore. And, and so John certainly had the look of Elijah. He had the charisma and he had the boldness of the prophet Elijah. So they wanted to know, are you Elijah? And of course, he answered to them and he said, nope, I am not. He said, are you a prophet? Now, some of the commentators said, we don't know for sure which prophet they might have been alluding to, but possibly Isaiah or Jeremiah. And he said, no. So finally, they stop and ask him, well, then who are you? And I love his answer. He said, I am. Now, I'm just stopping there because I'm sure when they heard those first two words, they thought, oh, well, wait a minute. Is he saying? But then he goes on, okay, so I just, okay. Just ignore me. I'll go on with the rest of this. <laughs> he says, um, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. So he says, look guys, I am not the message, I am the messenger. I am not the one that you are looking for to set our people free. I am merely the one who has the assignment of pointing to the one who sets people free. It's interesting here because later on in the book of John, Jesus does mention that Elijah will come. And there, there is this picture of Elijah. But in Luke chapter 1, as it describes Zechariah, John's dad, the priest, being visited by an angel and being told that even though he was up in years, that he and his wife were going to have a son. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, You're going to have a son named John, and he will come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So he would not specifically be the prophet of Elijah, but he would come in the spirit of that prophet Elijah. In Malachi chapter 4, the last paragraph of the last book of the Old Testament period, and there was silence for hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, and of course we had the New Testament, and there it speaks of Elijah coming again, and he will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, he, he tells them who he's not, then he tells them who he is, that he is this voice of the Lord. Now, there are a lot of things he could have said. He could have said, well, I'm Zachariah's boy, you know, the priest, you guys know him. You all have heard of him. You've been to the temple. You've seen him do his thing. He could have described himself that way. Or he could have said, I'm the guy that when I was just in mom's tummy, man, I jumped. And she goes, wow. Why? Because I was filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he could have mentioned that. He didn't mention that. He could have said, hey, as far as, you know, just human beings, I am the best. I am the guy. 
He didn't say that, though. He didn't mention that. He could have said, I'm the special herald of the Messiah. He didn't say that. But what he simply said is, I'm just a voice calling in the desert. Make way. Make preparation for the one who is coming, the Lord. I'm just one pointing to him. And can you imagine, it doesn't really tell us about John the Baptist growing up, but how difficult that must have been to be his parents. You know, I thought I could just see the conversation at the dinner table. Well, honey, I think, I'm not so sure. I, you know, he's 15 and he, he's, he's starting to wear weird stuff. And his hair's growing long and, and uh, I don't know, I, I think I caught him screaming at something outside. You know, or I guess that's preaching. He said, but this guy, he, he, our son, he's, he's acting, he's acting kind of weird. And I can just hear Elizabeth saying that to Zachariah. And Zachariah saying, oh, it's just a thing he's going through. You know, teenagers, they, they got to find themselves. And he'll grow out of it and everything will be okay. He didn't grow out of it. He actually grew into it. <laughs> it was actually a transition of his call. And he was called to be a Nazarite, which means a couple of things. It means his, he never cut his hair. So he did end up with some really long hair that kept getting longer. It also, a second thing... Um, was that if you were a male, there was the rite of circumcision. He, so, you know, that, that was part of the deal. And then the third thing that was to occur is that he could not eat anything from the vine. No wine for him. No raisins. And this is painful for me because I've told you guys many times I am a grape addict. No grapes for John the baptizer. That is out. So, he was set apart for a special purpose. And he had special sacrifices he was called to make so that it was clear that he was set apart. Not that everybody had to follow that particular types, type of sacrifice, but that was his call. That was his identity. But I also want us to look at his activity. Let's, let's start at verse 24 here. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. John was preaching with power, and he was preaching repentance. I think it's amazing. They were scared to death, I'm sure, to hear what John might say about them. And yet they showed up in droves because deep inside they had a hunger to know that God was there. And they needed to find out more about God, what He wanted of them, you see, it wasn't enough just to be a part of a community or a family that had a history and had ancestors with great stories about how God spoke to them. It was necessary that they personally heard from God. It was necessarily that they met God and, and encountered the living God. And so 
People came, and they were out there to hear John the Baptist as he preached. But here was the deal in that day. He had a baptism, but normally this was done for those who were Gentiles who wanted to enter into the Jewish community, the Jewish faith. That was the purpose, normally, of the type of baptism that they knew in that day, which now John was doing, but he was not doing it for Gentiles. He was doing it for the church folk, for the Jews who were already part of that community. And what he was saying to them is it's not enough to play church. You need to be the church. It is not enough to talk about what God has done. You need to let God do something in your life. And so as he preached, hearts were moved and then people were baptized, but it was a baptism not of salvation, but a baptism of repentance that said, we want our hearts to be ready when the Messiah comes so that we will not miss Him. So, so the people are there. They're being baptized because their hearts are moved as they fall under conviction, as they hear from this firebrand that speaks of the truth that the Messiah is on the way. And I am pointing to Him. And I think it's so interesting here as we look in our text and he describes this in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water. Guys, I'm baptizing you in the water. But he says, there, there's someone among you that you don't know. And he's going to come after me. I, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, <laughs> basically. He says in another place that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, whereas I merely baptize with water. And then... The next verse, you know, chapter 28. He looks at Jesus and he points. And he says, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love this in this section of scripture. He, he says two things. First, he says, this is God. And, and I, I want you to notice that in the text, he says, um, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So you see, John the Baptist was born six months earlier than his cousin, Jesus Christ. But he's saying, hey, he was here way before I was born. Even though he came after me as far as being born into this world, he existed and that's what John 1 is all about. In the beginning was the Word. He was before me. And I love what he says here as he describes this one he points to. Because he could have described him in a number of ways. But what did he say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And who were they looking for? I think they were really looking for the Lion of Judah instead of for the Lamb of God. They were really looking for someone who was going to come in and take over so they could have their lives restored and be out of this captivity among the Romans. They wanted to be set free. But he's, he didn't come. He didn't say. He didn't point to the Lion of Judah. He pointed to the Lamb of God. And when you think about a lamb, they're not a particularly impressive animal. They are not there for protection. They are not intimidating. You've never seen a sign that says, Beware of lamb. Watch out. 
It's Lambo. <laughs> you don't see that stuff. The strength of a lamb is not in power. It's in humility. That's who came. He came why? The Lamb of God came away to take the sin, away the sin of the world. And you know, I thought about the power of that statement too. He, he, it could say he came to take away the sins of the world. And you know, we so often want to categorize these sins. And, and you know, we want to outline, make a list of the worst sins and all the sins and all that. But he doesn't say to take away the sins of the world, but rather to take away the sin of the world. In other words, all of our rebellion against God, all the times that we have hurt other people because of our transgressions and our offenses, all of that, I don't care what it is that you have done, he came to take it away. By hanging up on the cross, he paid the price for every bit of it. It made me think of Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus came upon the earth in the incarnation. And it says, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shears is silent. That was Christ, the Lamb of God. He came in humility. And guys, there are some today who are teaching about Jesus, and they... Um, Leave out this. You see, when John pointed, he, he didn't merely point to what Jesus did in his time here upon the earth. He pointed to a specific reason he came. You see, there are some, and they tell us, well, Jesus was just a really good teacher. If you want to know how to treat one another, you study what Jesus taught. Because he's the greatest teacher of all. Well, that is true. He was and he is. But that is not specifically what is being said here. It goes beyond merely what he taught. There are others that say he was an incredible miracle worker. If you had a need and there was healing that was needed for you, Jesus could heal you. And he did. He healed many people. But what it says here is that he came not only to do miracles among us. Then there are those who say he's the ultimate example of love and acceptance. Oh, real, real love. Really being like Jesus means you accept people no matter what they do. And you cling to them. And you love them. And it is true. No one accepts us like Jesus. But guys, John, as he pointed to Jesus, he said something very specific. He came to die for our sins. Look, behold, the Lamb of God. You know, when they, when they thought about lambs, they thought about the plagues. And there was the Passover lamb, the lamb, as the blood was placed on the doorpost, as the angel, the death angel, flew over looking for that blood on the doorpost so that he would not bring death to the firstborn in that home. So there was a picture of that blood of the lamb being seen and, and thus people being spared. And, and so maybe that was what was upon his mind. 
But the truth of the matter is, as he pointed, and it's still true for us today, how can we possibly... How can we possibly introduce people to Jesus and not let them know why he came? What John did. All right, just a couple of... uh, Four quick lessons I, I want to mention here, and then an example that we can learn from John the Baptizer. Number one, be aware. Boy, it is so easy as we look at our own problems and the problems of everyone around us. Man, I just want to fix those problems. And more often than not, we discover, I can't fix those problems. And you know what? God did not call me to be the ultimate fixer guy. But what he did call me to do is to point. Point to Christ, filled with the Spirit, to point to however I can do whatever I can do for you, but to realize you need more than me to fix this and for this to be resolved. And John did that so beautifully. He pointed to Christ. We need to do that too. So we need to be aware of of who we're not. We're not the ultimate fix-it guy. (laughs) That's God's job. Secondly, we're to be vocal. We always talk about, well, you know, be the example. Um, You know, live for Christ. And and we do need to do that. But there does come a time where they need to know why we live like that. There does come a time where we need to say, you know, I'm doing this because Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has given me hope for tomorrow. When I die, I don't have to worry because of Jesus. People need to hear that. Sometimes we think they're just going to see it, you know, and and not get it. I I remember years ago when Cindy and I were in Long Island. I was working for UPS. I was young. there, There was this guy. He was the nicest guy that I worked with loading these trucks and and I thought, man, he's got to be a Christian. I just know he's a Christian. But, you know, I thought, well, I guess I was, you know. So I just asked him one day something about Jesus. I said, well, tell me about your faith in Jesus. Man, he got mad at me. Started just, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you know, who are you? Who do you think you are? And I thought, well, I got that one wrong. So don't take for granted that if you are living and following Jesus, that they know why you're different. Sometimes we need to open our mouths. (laughs) All right, third. Be filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist in in the womb. (laughs) He was filled with the Spirit for that task that he was born to fulfill. The Spirit of God was upon him. You know, when Jesus Christ enters our lives, when we believe upon him, the Bible tells us we receive the person of the Holy Spirit to guide and help us through this Christian life until we are in heaven with Him. But uh, even though the Spirit of God promises to never leave us, we can grieve the Spirit of God. We can hinder the Spirit of God. And so every morning, really, we need to get up and we just need to be honest and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me to the full because otherwise I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss you. So you, Lord, I surrender. Fill me. That's John the Baptist. That's what we're doing. And then one more. We are to be a signpost. 
That's what John the Baptist was. He was a signpost. That way, <laughs> that's Jesus. <laughs> that's, where I'm, that's where I'm pointing. And what happens so often when you meet people and you try to talk to them about Jesus, they have all these questions. And it's so easy to get distracted and diverted because of all those questions. But what about the, you know, 1,233 denominations? I just made that number up. I don't know. I'm not early. But all these denominations of Christianity, of Christian churches, I don't know. But as, as best as possible, you know, try to always get back to Jesus. Try to always get back to the Lamb of God. Try to always get back to the fact that God loves you and He sent Jesus to fix what only He could fix because we're a broken bunch. You know, that, that is, hey, look, the Lamb, that is so critical, that, that is so important. Uh, okay, I want to close with one example and then we're done. Um, first, this happened when Cindy and I were reading a a book that we actually got from uh, Brad and Lane, a great little book that talks about John 1.14, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. But he had a couple of stories in there about Eric Little. And uh, you guys go ahead and put up the picture of Eric Little. If Do you remember, did any of you see the movie Chariots of Fire? And that thing was back like in the 80s. But anyway, it was a story about a man who was from Scotland and his parents were missionaries in China, and that's where he spent his childhood. And so he felt a call to go back to China and to serve. But God had blessed him to run. And so he actually uh, had the opportunity to run his event at the 1924 Olympics. And they scheduled it for Sunday, and his personal conviction was um, not to work on Sunday and so he wouldn't run the race he said I, I can't out of good conscience run the race on Sunday so they scheduled him for another event that was not his event and he won the gold medal and so anyway he became quite well known for you know just being true to his convictions he went to school to study in order to go and to follow his parents work as missionaries in China. He got married in the, in the meantime at school, had two little girls. Um, they ended up going to China, spending some time there, and then the Japanese were preparing to invade China, and they got word. And so he sent his wife and his two little girls to Canada and said, as soon as things calm down, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. We'll be together. But that never happened. He was captured uh, by the Japanese, thrown in a type of concentration camp with many others. And he actually died from a brain tumor there five months before the prisoners were released from the concentration camp. And so, you know, we're sitting here and we're watching this movie that's actually based on this true story of Eric Little from Chariots of Fire. And it's like, boy, how, you know, I'm thinking, separated from his family. I mean, that's terrible. God, why would you do that? I can't believe this happened. And, and our daughter Lydia called. Oh, she said, oh, that's depressing. You know, we're kind of telling her some of the story and all that stuff. And then Cindy did some research, and she found this article. And I want to read to you just a couple of things from this article that were so powerful 
um, to me. It was an article written by Randy Alcorn in 2018. Um, Randy and his wife went to England, and they met a pastor and his wife, and she was a 13-year-old child in that concentration camp. They didn't know it, but they began to talk to this pastor and his wife, and she began to tell stories about Uncle Eric. She said, Uncle Eric was our inspiration. And then after talking about this for a short time, she said, do, do you know who I'm talking about? And he goes, no. Eric Little, you ever heard of him? Well, he was a big fan of Eric Little. And then she began, she began to share a little bit about that experience. Um, she, one thing that was really on her mind, she said that he had organized a lot of sports for the children, hundreds of children there, to play different games, different sports. And he would referee the sports. But he didn't do it on Sunday because on his conviction, he didn't work on Sunday. But the kids would argue and they would struggle. And he really prayed and he came to the conclusion God wants me to referee on Sunday. So he wouldn't run this world event to win a gold medal, but he would referee a bunch of kids playing in a prison. And, and I love this because Alcorn writes it this way. When it came to his own glory, Liddell would surrender it all rather than run on Sunday. But when it came to the good of children in a prison camp, he would referee on Sunday. He would sacrifice a gold medal for himself in the name of truth, but would bend over backward for others in the name of grace. Here's another lady, M Mary Taylor Prevett. She was also imprisoned with Eric in that concentration camp. She described him as Jesus in running shoes. <laughs> I love that, Jesus in running shoes. Um, she said he cared for the elderly and the weak and the ill, as well as working with the kids. And I love this. It says, despite the squalor of the open cesspools, rats, flies, and disease in the crowded camp, life took on a very normal routine through Though without the faithful and cheerful support of Eric Liddell, many people would never have been able to manage. Margaret Holder, you know, the pastor's wife I told you about, she said it was a cold February day when Uncle Eric died. No one in the world mourned like we did in that camp. Five months later, we were rescued by American paratroopers and reunited with our families. And many of us told stories about Uncle Eric. She said, um, for years, nearly to the war's end, war's end, God used him as a lifeline to hundreds of children, including Margaret Holder. And he's got in this article, it's so beautiful, his daughter that he never met here. She was uh, still in mommy's tummy. Years later, she went to the memorial as an adult of her dad. And she read it. And then she was interviewed. And she said, he was needed there more than he was needed for us. I thought, wow. Let me close with this. I thought this was so great. Norman, Dr. Norman Cliff, who was also in prison with Uncle Eric, recalled this. Eric Little would say, 
when you speak of me, give the glory to my master, Jesus Christ. He would not want us to think solely of him. He would want us to see the Christ whom he serves, pointing to Jesus. Let's pray. God, uh, so where does that leave us, Lord? Um, we certainly feel frail as far as our pointers, how we point to you. Increase that, Lord. We want others to see you. And, and, and so, God, I just pray you work that in us, Lord. And if there's one here that's never taken that first step and, and seen the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's ready to take away your sin. Father, what a great day to trust you, whether it's to take that first step into forgiveness or to start walking, pointing to the sin of our Savior that others might see. God, as we take this time to worship you, draw us to you, to the altar, um, to share what you've laid on our hearts before your people, or just to make a decision right where we are that says, I want to point to Christ. So, God, we just bring it to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand together.